Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Like, like hands down, just, just one lesson, consistent, solid contact. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. Thank you for downloading the 108th episode of this podcast. But before we get any further, you can follow me on Twitter at Golf Unfiltered. You can send me an email, golfunfiltered at gmail.com. You can listen to this podcast on many different venues, but primarily our website, but also the Hackers Paradise Radio Network. So hello to all my friends over there at thehackersparadise.com. Nice to speak with you again, albeit one way. So uh, this episode is a good one. I am struggling a little bit with my golf game. For those of you who uh, follow me on Twitter and read the blog and watch me on YouTube, you understand what I'm talking about. And so in my ever or never-ending quest to get better, uh, and we've interviewed a few people on this show before to talk to us about their swing methods, different teaching professionals and the like. But most recently, I stumbled upon a gentleman named Sam Goulden, who has been on YouTube for quite some time, probably a name that you've heard of before. And he was sharing, at least in his uh, YouTube channel, the square-to-square the square square swing method. I better get the name right. The square-to-square square swing method. And Sam is on the podcast today to talk to us a little bit about that. And so I'm going to let him explain what that means and what the swing technique entails. But I can tell you that in just a couple sessions that I've gone out on the range and I've worked with this swing, there's a lot that I like about it. I have some questions about the swing in general when I talk to Sam in just a little bit. And so, fair warning, folks, this is a uh, very golf-nerdy episode of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, so I hope you don't mind. I love to talk about the golf swing, and it's pretty rare when I have the chance to actually do that with another person. And certainly, my wife does not want to hear it. And uh, on that point, actually, I've been getting a lot of great feedback from listeners to the show about uh, an episode that my wife and I did uh, recapping the 2017 Masters, of course, Sergio Garcia winning his first major. And for those of you who listen to that episode... You remember that my wife has a very unique way of speaking, and uh, she uh, she basically talks like talks like a truck driver. So, um, you know, certainly uh, we will do our best to get her back on the show. I got a lot of positive feedback from that, so uh, people want to hear more about Kristen. So we will get her back on the show uh, in a couple episodes or so. But uh, in the meantime, uh, one quick thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, which uh, has been on social uh, very recently. Actually, I'm recording this on a Tuesday evening. And this actually just started uh, about Monday when there was this chatter about uh, there being too many golf podcasts out there. And I find it, I find it funny um, for two reasons. One, I tend to agree. There, there are many 
golf podcasts out there, and it seems like, uh, especially with the um, the the advent of, of golf social and golf Twitter, uh, it seems like everyone's got a podcast these days, and this show is certainly no exception to that. As I mentioned earlier, this is the 108th episode of the Golf Unfiltered podcast, so we've been around for a while. It's uh, staggering how quickly you can uh, get 108 episodes out. But it does seem like there are many podcasts out there, and I know that you've got a lot of options to choose from, and so I do thank you for anyone who downloads uh, this show uh, to listen to me ramble on. I'm hoping to improve the show, as I'm sure that you've noticed a uh, an improvement in the sound quality, uh, but hopefully we're going to get some better guests as well. Uh, and the second reason I find it funny is because, quite frankly, I don't see there anything b- being wrong with variety. Um, I, I understand that social media tends to just jump to the negative and that when there's ever too much of anything, then it can't be a good thing. But in this case, I think that's not the case. Um, quite frankly, I think it's the opposite. There are many friends of mine that I, well, people who I consider friends, uh, most of which I've met <laughs> or most of whom I've met, uh, who have their own podcasts and I listen to them and I certainly uh, enjoy the, uh, the information that they bring forth on the uh, the radio waves or the uh, internet waves, whatever you want to call it. And I've even appeared, appeared on a few. And so, uh, you know, and I hope to do so even more so in the future. But um, one of the things that I do want to stay away from, and I hope I've not done this too much, but I'm not going to say that I've never done this because I'm sure that I've uh, had those moments when I've also jumped to the negative, is I don't want to rip or speak poorly of any other podcasts or social accounts or websites that there might be in this this golf space. And I know that there are uh, many that are popping up. I'm sure that we can name a few. And I do know that even though it seems like there's so much traffic and there's a lot of saturation right now in the golf media space, especially among blogs and podcasts, it's still a very small niche in the greater media landscape. And I think anyone who's listening to this who is in that landscape would agree with that. One of the things that I think we need to stay away from, and I've been seeing this a lot more on Twitter, and again, I'm probably guilty of this just as much as anyone, is we need to kind of stick together a little bit and and not begin to pick apart everybody. Sure, there's some instances when you want to be sarcastic, and certainly sarcasm doesn't translate very well over social media. I know I've read things and interpreted them in one way, which is completely meant to be in a different way. Uh, from someone who may have tweeted at me, for example, or sent me an email or what have you. Um, But I think we need to kind of veer away from judging others in this space when we're all kind of trying to play in the same sandbox. So I know I'm speaking pretty vaguely right now, and I'm doing that for a purpose, because again, I'm not on here to call anybody out or anything of that nature, and I could definitely take a joke much like anyone else can. But there are, at certain points... A, uh, a line that is crossed. Uh, let me say that again. At certain points, there is a line that is crossed. And that line sometimes can really impact other people, especially uh, those of us who are trying to do this, not for a living, but certainly for a little bit more than a hobby. Yes, there are those of us who do this for a living. I am not one of those people. I've been very clear and, and open that I have a day job in addition to this what I do uh, with Golf Unfiltered. But the point being... Let's just try to kind of play nice in this sandbox. We're all in this for the same reason. Um, obviously, uh, if you listen to multiple golf podcasts or if you read multiple golf blogs, more often than not, you're going to see similar content. You might even see some golf podcasts have the same uh, guest on for multiple 
uh, across multiple shows. So uh, I'll just kind of leave it at that. But it was something that kind of grabbed my attention. And for those of you that do follow me on Twitter, at Golf Unfiltered, you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, in the meantime, let's just kind of uh, respect one another. Let's try to make this as much fun as we possibly can and support one another's efforts in this. Because really, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to bring good content to the listeners and the readers who uh, like watching golf and like to add a little bit of us to their golf experience. So uh, before we get into Sam's interview, I do want to remind my listeners to please go out and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. That really does help me out with the search results in iTunes. When you go out and you search for a golf podcast, the more ratings that a podcast has, the higher it will uh, land in those search results. So I do appreciate everyone who has uh, left a comment, who has left a five-star rating, and I hope that more will go and do that as well. So that's enough for me uh, yammering on. I'm going to you know, get out of the way here, and I, I'm going to welcome Mr. Sam Golden from Sam Golden Golf to the show. Let's go. All right, folks, welcome back. And as I mentioned in the intro, I am joined by Mr. Sam Golden today from Sam Golden Golf. We're going to talk a little bit about his background as well as the square-to-square swing method. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, and thanks for coming on. And I know that uh, you and I have chatted a little bit on Twitter as of late, and I'm trying out the swing, the square-to-square swing, which we're going to get into a little bit later on. But uh, Sam, for the listeners here, why don't you let us know a little bit about your uh, golf background um, because I, I love the story, but let's kind of start with how you got started in the game and how you became a PGA teaching professional. Yeah. So I, um, I had a little bit of an introduction to golf from like my grandparents, uh, on vacations and things, but really didn't get into playing until I was a senior in high school that year my high school decided to have a, a golf team. So I'd played and I kind of liked it, but I, I, I really thought I could maybe do it, but I didn't really know if I could. So I like begged my mom to forward my allowance and, uh, I got a set of clubs and I practiced like super hard for, you know, the, the seven days leading up to tryouts and I made the team. Um, I wasn't a great asset to the team. I think I was the fourth or fifth guy on a, on a five man squad, mm-hmm. uh, varsity squad. But, um, so, you know, my best score, I think, was a 42 on a par 32 course on nine holes. So obviously I wasn't a, a very skilled or experienced golfer at that point. And then a year later, a golf course opened pretty near in my hometown, pretty near where I lived. And uh, I, I thought, what a great place to work. Um, so at this point, I was 19. I got a job there, like washing carts and picking up range balls. And I just became 100% addicted. And I, I hit balls every day. I played every day. And. I went from like this jean jean and t-shirt wearing skateboard punk to a <laughs> fully prepped out, you know, khaki pants every day and a collared shirt guy in, in a pretty short time. Um, and I, it basically, I didn't have too many influences. It just, to me, it was just a fascinatingly challenging game that I wanted so desperately to master that I started reading as many books as I could. Um, I got tips here and there from different pros. And, um, within about 18 months, I went from, you know, a guy who really, really would struggle to break 90 if I played by all the rules from the white tees to a plus 0.5 index from the blue tees. Wow. Um, yeah, so it was just this massive evolution that I don't even, 
looking back, I don't even remember how it all happened. It was just every day hitting balls, chipping and putting. You know, I'd hear that somebody would say like on the PGA Tour, everybody hits 500 balls a day. And now I know that's not true. But at the time I was like, oh, okay, well then I'm going to practice that hard. And so, you know, I started hitting 500 balls a day. My hands were bleeding. I had like, (laughs) you know, literal holes in places on my fingers from that. So when I couldn't hit balls because my hands hurt too bad, I would chip. And then somebody would say, well, pros practice their short game twice as much as they practice their full swing. And I was like, oh, Jesus. (laughs) You're telling me I've got to hit 500 balls, which takes a long time if you've never done it. And then I've got to spend twice as much time on my chipping and putting. So I did that. Um, And then I basically like dropped out of college because I couldn't – I like – wouldn't go to class because I'd be hitting balls and couldn't leave the driving range. Wow. So, which was okay because I really didn't belong in college at that time in my life anyway. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just doing it because people said I should go. Um, but then, so I get to a scratch index or a plus 0.5 and, um, a kid that was on my high school golf team was playing college golf at a school called Lincoln university in Jeff city, Missouri. He came and played with me that summer or his first summer, uh, back. And he was like, dude, you, <laughs> you, what happened to you? You can, (laughs) I mean, like he's, he just couldn't believe it. And I was like, yeah, I've been practicing every day. And he's like, man, we need you on our team. And so I went and played for the coach and I, I had like a phenomenal day. I mean, calling my shots and, you know, birdieing a bunch of holes. And, and I played with the number one player on that, on the team that time. Uh, and he told the coach right after our round, he was like, get this guy, get this guy. So, um, so yeah, they, they gave me a full scholarship to play. I played for a, a year and a half, uh, kind of ran out of eligibility and sort of interest at the same time uh, in school. And I just decided, you know, so after college, I was I was 100% certain that I, I was going to have a career teaching golf and I knew I wouldn't be a professional golfer at that time in my life. Uh, I just wasn't anywhere close to the best players in the Division II level, mm-hmm. let alone the best players in Division One. So I, I got out of college. I went and got a job um, at a driving range in St. Louis, Missouri, and had uh, just just started going to teaching seminars. So I entered the PGA program, won the PAT when I took it. Um, I, sh- I can't remember what I shot. It was like maybe one or two over through 36 holes, and I think the target number was like 14 over. Um, and then so I started going to all these teaching seminars, and I got some – I just met some awesome people like Michael Hebron, who's been a huge influence to me, uh, to my golfing for sure, and, and my teaching um, even more so. Uh, I got to meet him. I got to meet Jim Flick. I got to spend two weekends with um, Hank Haney. Um, and so just you, you just over the years, uh, over a couple of years, I just learned from all these amazing teachers, and I got to be a, a little bit better teacher myself. And then... Um, in 2006, I was kind of like sitting there watching Phil Mickelson blow the U.S. Open. <laughs> As we all were. <laughs> right? And I, so I'm watching it on the replay like at 10 o'clock at night because I'd been teaching all day and sitting on this little couch in, in my little tiny apartment. And I'm like, you know what? I never would have made that mistake that he made. And then I kind of checked myself and I was like, you know what, Sam? If you're going to make that statement, you have to back it up. So mm. I decided at that point that I wanted to win the U.S. Open and that set me on a path of for the next nine years of playing more competitive golf, uh, moving to California, you know, teaching and playing a uh, couple of years, basically living out of my car and eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches for weeks at a time. Nice. Uh, 
And then at some point I got to this place where um, I had developed and, and kind of more, not necessarily developed, but finally put it down in a vi in video form actually on YouTube, but then in an ebook form um, for the square to square swing. And that started generating some revenue. And so that I could spend a little bit less time sleeping in my car and a little bit more time uh, in hotels. And then that was in 2013. And then in 2014, I actually uh, sort of half sponsored a group of guys to join me in traveling around the country trying to qualify for PGA Tour events, US Open included. And um, after about nine nine months kind of of that, um, mm -hmm. it having been nine years in my pursuit, I sort of randomly um, got introduced, not randomly, I, uh, one of my students introduced me to someone who was starting an app and uh, had needed my help. And so I, I kind of consulted for him for free for like six months. And then he offered me a, a position that I really didn't want, to be honest. Uh, but he, he, he said, Sam, what would I have to pay you in order for you to take this position sort of? And and I think I probably should have aimed higher. Uh, well, I know I should have aimed higher because I. He was like, "Done. Anything else?" And I was like, "Shit." Now I'm gonna <laughs> I should have said, "Yeah, absolutely." Yeah. Now I'm gonna have a job. Uh, so, but actually, that turned out to be an incredible project. Um, I have absolutely no regrets about it. It was so much fun. And that was the 18 Birdies app, which is now becoming the most. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty soon everyone will know it as like the best kind of technology piece in golf. It's it's an app that does some of the regular stuff like GPS and keeps track of your score and allows you to play games with your groups. But it also has the sort of gamification uh, aspect to it where you're competing against yourself in certain categories and trying to improve and earn these badges. And um, eventually it will be probably the go to app for golf. I, I fully believe that at this point. So I left them in late 2015 kind of cruised around for a while because as I was working with 18 birdies, I'd stopped playing full time and kind of got some insight and was just like, why? I, I, I just realized I'd been on this path for, for nine years and I didn't really even know if I wanted to be on that path anymore. And it, it, I had to ask myself the question since I'd had some time away, did I really want to compete at golf? Um, and if not, what would I do? So I answered that question, do I really want to compete at golf, with no. It just didn't, I didn't have love for it anymore. I tried to practice. I used to practice 10 hours a day without thinking about it. And um, I just, I went out and tried to practice and it, I just didn't like it. And mm. so I wasn't, I wasn't inspired anymore to play. So um, then I was like, what do I do? And so I took some time to just sort of float around on the suggestion of others. I traveled around. I went to the PGA show. I spent some time in, in LA. I spent some time in Missouri with my family. And eventually, um, I was, was playing golf with a friend of mine whose family owns a resort in Puerto Rico. And he was saying, well, if you have a business that you can do online, why wouldn't you just do it anywhere? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's the thing. I can go anywhere. I just don't know where to go. And he was like, how about Puerto Rico? And I was like, oh, he mean to my favorite. So his family owns my favorite golf course in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's called Royal Isabella. It's a just this incredible 18-hole link-style course set on a cliff in the Caribbean. It's like mind-blowingly difficult and yet super beautiful. So I've loved this course for a long time. And he was like, why not just move there and um, do your work from there? And I literally, this is no joke, I put my car on Craigslist for an absurdly low price. It was like a 2006 BMW that was 
in mint condition and I sold it for thirty five hundred dollars. <laughs> where 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 were you when I was looking for a car? Yeah, I mean I was in SoCal. <laughs> you just didn't see my uh you didn't see my ad apparently. But no, I sold this car to a great I didn't I, I had it listed for like more than that, but this I this kid was like, Oh man, my I just wrecked my car and I would love to have this. I can't afford it. What's the lowest price you can offer? And I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna pay this one forward. And so I sold my car, had this big stack of hundred dollar bills, you know, and well not a huge stack, but a decent sized stack. And I had, you know, my backpack and my golf clubs and my laptop and I just uh, I just boarded a flight and moved to Puerto Rico. So I've been living in Puerto Rico for 14 months now. Oh wow! And while I've, yeah, and while I've been here, I've just been really seeking to develop um, a better way, a simpler way to deliver my message. Um, and more recently, in the last few months, I've I've been working on uh, I, I'm I'm working on it right now, developing a very simplified program that allows uh, a player of any level to get into my system and then a set of practice drills and kind of uh, w- what you can do to simplify the learning process and maximize your potential with the time that you have. And uh, as from being, you know, from teaching golf for 18 years, I have this, I feel like uh, expert sort of, um, I, I don't know, uh, not, a, not opinion, but just experience. Um, I, when somebody comes to me for a golf lesson, I, I usually sit down and talk with them for a few minutes. And then if there's someone who's very serious about getting better, I lead them down one path. If they're kind of in the middle, I lead them down another path. And if they're a beginner, I lead them down another path. And all three of those paths can, you know, the beginner can join the intermediate at some point and the intermediate can join the expert. Um, but they're all, they're all a little bit different, but very much based on the same fundamentals, which we're going to talk about, obviously, um, with the square to square swing method. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm, I've been working on now. I don't really have a full-time job other than, uh, help deliver the best, con- you know, deliver the best content I possibly can for free and some for paid to the people who are out there just, just hoping to get a little bit better at golf. That's, there, there's a lot in that. And I, I love the story that you just told because I just think it shows the, the complexity and the the different variety of things that people can get into in the world of golf. And I literally had no idea that you had any, anything to do with 18 birdies. I think that's amazing. Um, and I didn't know that you were, uh, from, uh, the St. Louis area. And, uh, when we're done with this, we'll talk a little bit more about why that, that caught my, my ear. Uh, and it has to do with my day job, but you know, what's interesting, Sam is, you know, this, this entire path that you've gone down. And I found it interesting that you said you chose or you thought that you would teach before you actually made the decision to take nine years and try to win the U S open. Um, was there something about teaching golf that was, you know, more of a draw to you? It was it, have you had teaching experience in another realm in the past? No, I think I just, you know, my dad was a college professor my mom always taught. And I think I, so I think some of it probably is genetic and I think some of it just got filtered into me over the years by my parents. Um, and I also think probably some negative things led me there too, like wanting people to like me and Mm. want, you know, like things that like a psychologist would be like, that's the reason why you try to help people because you want them to like you, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I get that. But it's also pretty cool because, because of that need, I've developed an ability to help people. Um, and really kind of feel what they're try to try to get a sense to feel what they're feeling. And, uh, I think that that helps with teaching, 
But no, I, I thought about it teaching in college. I actually was on a plan or a program to become a teacher. I, and there's kind of a, a group of people that I, I would like to teach to, you know, later in life, I definitely want to develop a, a junior ish type program. Um, I really, I really like helping kids and, and people under kind of the age of 25. Um, uh, but no, I, I, to answer your question, I think it was more just some, some innate, just, you know, genetics, some parental guidance, and then, um, yeah, maybe, you know, some other, some other things, but it always came pretty easily to me. That That's amazing. And, you know, I, I, I love it when people find their calling one way or another. And, you know, sometimes it's through failure. Sometimes it's through just, you know, natural instinct. And in your case, I think it, it certainly tends towards that instinctual uh, method. Because one of the things, Sam, that I've noticed about watching your videos, and I really do appreciate, not everyone does this very well, which is why it caught my eye, is that you, you speak very well. Obviously, listeners can hear that now and the answers that you're giving to this point. And, and you do a great job just explaining techniques in what I think you would agree is just a very complex body movement, which is the golf swing. Yeah, I so the very first lesson I ever gave, I was 19 years old and I or maybe 20 at that point, um, and I had just figured out how to hit a draw. And um, my brother, my stepbrother at the time, he and I were pretty close. He he was like, "Let's go golf," and I was like, "Okay, let's golf." And he hit a slice all day long, and I was like, "Dude, do you do you want to you want to hit it the other way?" I just learned how to hit a draw, and he was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "So so okay, so basically, if you're slicing it." you know, what kind of, what way is the ball spinning if it's slicing? And so he kind of put a clockwise spin on it. And I was like, okay, yeah. So if you wanted to draw it, which way would it need to spin? He's like this way. And I'm like, and how would you have to move the club in order to make the ball do that? He's like, oh, (laughs) nice. So he, he made a swing and he kind of got half of it. I think like it was a, I don't remember the sequence, but it was probably something like, I remember it took three swings. The first one was probably a push. Um, and so the ball went straight, right. And I was like, okay, so your swing path was probably to the right, but your face was probably pointed the same exact direction as the, as the path. So the ball just went straight to the right. If you wanted it to curve, what would your face need to be relative to the path? And I'm probably using a much simpler, uh, set of terms now since I've given this lesson a billion times since then, but sure. But so he's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. So he makes another swing and this one like over hooks. And then I'm like, okay, good job. You did it now do it in the middle. And he hit this beautiful little draw. And I was like, why aren't, why, why is teaching so hard? You know, I was like, (laughs) I was like, I can teach, I can, I can share this with everybody. Everybody slices. So I think that gave me some confidence too. Uh, it was like, oh, I can fix all these people who've, or I can help all these people who've been slicing their whole lives and don't know why. Um, and so that was a really nice, probably jump start to giving me confidence that I could help people. Well, you do a great job at it. And so I, I want to jump into the square to square swing. And so, you know, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, when we started talking, I've, I've started using the square to square swing. I've been struggling a lot and people who listen to, or listen to this show and uh, follow me on Twitter understand what I'm talking about. And it's just, it's, it's one of those things, Sam, where the game comes and goes, and I'm sure you've heard this a million times from other people that you've um, coached. It comes and goes. I'm currently at a 13 and I've been as low as a six, but it's just, it ebbs and flows. And I don't certainly play as much as I would like to, you know, I'm basically your average guy that probably comes to you for lessons. And so I stumbled upon your YouTube channel and I noticed this method of the square to square swing. So let's start right there. What goes behind the name square to square? What does that refer to? 
Okay, so first of all, I had no idea that there was a book written in the 70s with the exact same title. So uh, I, that was kind of enlightening for me when somebody said, hey, you know, your, your method is different, but it's the same title as this other guy. Um, and so I think what he was, with Dick Altman um, and Jim Flick, they worked together on this book for Golf Digest in the 70s. What they were trying to explain is similar to what I'm, I came, the reason I came up with the title um, is a club face that is square coming into impact and square leaving impact. So I, you know, I'm sitting there hitting balls and I, and I know I'm using this method and I'm coaching with this method and it's working like super, super well. And I'm like, this is going to change lives. I need to share this, but I also need to name it. And I, I remember kicking it around with the guys at the shop. I was like, you know, what do you think about like square to square? And and they were like, uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And the, the, the what it describes for me in my swing is that the club face on the backswing, as you're as you're swinging, I I don't say that, or I'm I'm not um, implying that the club is going to swing on the target line. Uh, and I think there's you know maybe I could have named it better. If I do come up with a better name, I'll change it. But the the not the club's path, not the club being square to the target. Mm. In, in the way it's swinging, but the face, the club face being square to the direction in which it's traveling. So, so another way to say it maybe is the the club face doesn't necessarily fan open on the way back with the traditional toe up that people might look. Uh, if you're looking down the line at a golfer, the toe is a little bit more turned down towards the ball. Right. So in a traditional swing, it's uh, the traditional way it's been taught. And there are a lot of new teachers in the last five years. I've seen a lot of new um, or, or teachers starting to come up with a little bit more square way to swing. But essentially, they would roll the, their wrists and the club face open, and then they would roll their wrists and the club face closed. And so that would be open to closed. And I'm saying without that roll of the wrists open, and you basically have staying square going back and square coming through, and that means that the club face is going to look, as the club goes back on the arc to the inside, the club face will look down toward the ball mm. and kind of from from where it came. And then as it's leaving through impact and up the left side of the arc or as it's going back up around the other side, the club face is still going to look up the arc on the other side. So it's essentially staying square to its arc throughout the throughout the hitting area of the swing. And so with that method and it's it's it brings so many other questions to mind in terms of body mechanics. And I know that in one of your videos that I've watched, you talk about how you've studied body mechanics and you've you've studied the way that the human body works and most importantly what i think is very unique about your method is that you've also studied how people learn and one of the things that you mentioned in a video on uh, samgoldengolf.com is people have to kind of break that that habit in their brain in order for them to make a swing differently than they have throughout many years uh, what, what do you mean by that well, so essentially, when you learn a new skill, it's thrown into a part of your brain. It's like a file cabinet full of skills that you've learned that it that are going to be helpful later. So, like they, you've heard like it's it's like riding a bike. Once you learn it, you never forget it. That's pretty much true with a billion things that we learn in our lives over the course of our lifetime. We're going to learn tons and tons of skills, like picking up a fork and feeding yourself, tying your shoes. That at first might seem complex and challenging, but after you've learned the skill and developed the skill, it's programmed, it's done, we don't think about tying our shoes anymore. So what happens when we play golf is the same thing that happens when you tie your shoes. 
your brain goes, oh, the shoelaces are, are untied. I know what to do. You can talk on the phone or you can you know, think about something else at work. You can do a million other things and be present to other things while you tie your shoe because we already know how to do it. The brain's already programmed to do it. So when you're hitting a golf ball, when the brain looks down at a golf ball, whether it's sitting on a tee or in the rough or in the sand, it already thinks it knows. Well, it already knows what it wants to do. And so for you to break that, you have to be very conscious and very present and aware to a new idea or a new concept. And you have to sort of say to your brain, I know you think you know what to do here. However, I want to do something different. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so in that, I, I offer a lot of drills, um, some pause during the middle of your swing drills to, to check to see if you're anywhere near where you really want to be. Uh, a drill, I, probably the, the best drill that I've ever, I've ever learned, and that's helping everyone at my clinics go from not being able to hit it solid to hitting it solid every single time is a, I think we've called it like the go-to drill on the website. I know it well, I know it well. (laughs) So that drill is the basis for every shot that you want to be hitting in your life. You want to be performing impact. It's a very short swing where the club head goes to about waist higher, a little beyond on the backswing, and then through to about waist higher on the other side. When you make a swing that small, it's very easy to, first of all, it's a swing that most players don't ever practice, so the pattern is probably less ingrained, uh, their old pattern. And then secondly, it's a swing, it's a small enough swing that you can kind of slow it down and control the movements that you're making until you develop the pattern and the habit of hitting that shot. And so you're able to do all the things you intend to do at a much, you know, a higher rate. Like I would never teach a lesson, I will never teach a lesson again to somebody with a full swing first. Uh, I'm, I mean, I've had from beginner to, to like tour level player, the first thing I would do, we would talk about what do you intend to do at impact and what would you like to do with the ball? And I would say, okay, can we perform that at roughly 50 yards with a pitching wedge? Mm. If, we, if, we, if we can, then we can slide it up the scale and see if we can perform it at three-quarter swing. And if we can perform it at three-quarter swing, let's see if we can perform it at full swing. Uh, but that, that's, ref, that's basically the, the drills that I give people. We start at like little half swings until they perform the intended impact impact alignments once they perform the intended impact alignments we move up to three-quarter swing and i actually don't ever really say okay now you can go 100 percent at it i'm very confident in uh the idea that every player can break 80 and better with a three-quarter swing and will hit it a lot more consistently solid and control their ball flight better with more predictable curve uh, with a three-quarter swing than they than they will with a full swing. So I like to see people staying closer to a three-quarter swing for almost their entire round unless they absolutely have to hit a high pitching wedge 150 yards or something like that. Then mm-hmm. go ahead and pull that shot out of the bag. You know, it's interesting you, know, you say that because um, I've, I've heard that before. You know, you don't want to swing full bore at every shot that you take. And I certainly, in my own game, uh, understand that you have more control when you swing three-quarter. And so... You know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask about the swing um, is uh, this is not necessarily you're not telling people that you can't use your hands, for example. I mean, you're not saying that you want to take the risks entirely out of the swing, but rather you're saying you want to focus most on upper body rotation and maintaining that square to square club face. Yeah. So here's the okay. so I'm I'm a junkie. I'm like a literal 
golf junkie. It, as as took, we are here too. Yeah. So I, I've taken lessons from, I've spent, I, I, I estimated or guesstimated recently, it's about $50,000 I've spent in books, online courses, and golf lessons in my life. So I win for everybody listening. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much nobody has spent as much money as me on golf lessons. And, and very few people have spent as much time as me considering, I'm not saying like other instructors haven't, but just about nobody has spent this kind of dedicated research time. I'm not saying I love like Mac O'Grady, for instance, I absolutely love that swing model and I love swinging that way. It feels so fluid and rhythmic and repetitive and, and comfortable. However, Mac O'Grady has something like 27 alignments that need to be classified and understood at address. Uh, so to me, like I've got a player that comes in, let's say I've got a brand new beginner that comes in and says, I want to learn how to play golf. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, first thing, fundamental number one, the most important thing we have to learn today is making solid contact. And so I learned over time that in order to get someone making solid, and that's, that's fundamental number one with every single player. If, if you ever expect to be a consistent golfer, it's going to be very difficult if you don't strike the ball consistently solid. So if I have a player who's like a six handicap and they come in and they're like, yeah, I'm a six, but like I don't hit it solid every time. They're going straight to the go-to drill. We're going to set them up in, you know, the impact alignment and have them get the sense for, you know, compressing the ball every single time. And then we're going to work up through their bag so that they can compress it every time. So anyway, to get back to your question where it, kind of how it works, I, I just found for me as a coach and for my students, it, it was the fastest way to get consistent solid contact and predictable curve. Like like hands down, just, just one lesson, consistent solid contact. And if I try to teach somebody a classification system of, of multiple different pieces that aren't all 100% like, you know, visually and sensory related to impact or what we're going for at impact, there may be a lot of lag time while they're trying to get comfortable with this new grip that I think is perfect and this new stance that I think is perfect. Um, you know, if, if I'm going through all of that stuff with a beginner, it's, it's going to take some time for them to get comfortable with all these different parts of their body that they feel that aren't comfortable just to get solid contact. So the, the system that I've been using is just the simplest pieces that I can possibly think of that will allow people to do that, make consistent solid contact, with a predictable curve every single shot. It's working for me up to this point, and I imagine that based on the videos I've been watching and the drills that you present on samgoldengolf.com, it's going to continue for me. And so I'm excited to actually take it out to the course. Uh, Hopefully soon, I'm in the Chicagoland area, and it's been raining what seems like for 48 straight hours. So hopefully I'll have some opportunity to go out. I actually live out near Cog Hill uh, in Illinois, and uh, that's been my... uh, my go-to practice facility. And so I've had the opportunity to practice off of mats. I've had the the, uh, opportunity to practice off of grass when it was nice enough. And I can say that it's carried over from one surface to the next, the the square to square swing up to this point. So I want to talk a little bit, Sam, about the website and what you offer to people and who can become members, free members actually on your website. And you also have a premium tier with some uh, additional information. Uh, but the website itself is laid out extremely well. Uh, you offer some free courses to people signing up to the site. And what can people expect when they do sign up to be a free member? So I, again, I'm, I'm constantly trying to do this better, to simplify things, to make the route from start to finish or start to reaching your goals better. 
Um, at this point, I feel okay about the website. I think what I offer now is pretty good, but I'm hoping to do better. And I've been sending out surveys recently to my members to try to get some feedback, what, what they want, what, what I can do to help them um, make this more fluid. As it sits right now, when you go to the website, you can get a free mini course that's a lot of people have, have really liked that. It's a free mini course, and it's mostly on the wedges, but um, it will help with your full game. It, and if you, you know, if you want to get that free course, I'll add you as a free member. Uh, when you become a free member, you kind of get access to a few free courses. Uh, and then there are, there are some simple things like the ebook, which I think is a, you know, a super easy purchase and a very quick read. It's like 52 pages. And I wrote it specifically short so that you could get through it in one setting. Um, I think that's a great place to start. If, if you're, if you're not sold on the $9 ebook, you can get the free courses. And if you're like, okay, let me check out this ebook. That's $9. It's not too expensive. And then if you want to become a, a monthly member, I'm always running programs where I'll give you my most recent course for free. And then for the $19 a month membership gets you access to the forum on Facebook where you can submit your swings and we can, we can have live conversations. And I do live videos when I'm at clinics, um, and, and things like that. And then ultimately you could become a VIP member, which would give you access to everything on my site, or you could purchase courses individually, which run from $19 to $99. So, uh, everything from, you know, the more you spend, the more in depth the course is. Um, and then again, as I mentioned, I'd really, I'm working toward developing a program that will get you kind of, where are you on the road? Let's plug you in right here and, and get you moving down the road as quickly as possible. It's an amazing website, folks, and uh, Sam's selling himself a little short there. I know he always wants to improve. I can hear it in what he said, but the website is really well done, and it, there's just a lot of great content on there, as well as your YouTube channel uh, that I encourage everyone to check out also. You know, Sam, I did get a Twitter question in from one of my followers, and thanks, folks, for sending in a question. I highly recommend you to always send in questions for any of our guests. Uh, and, Sam, this is actually an interesting question because it's one that I've – uh, also had in the back of my mind, I've not run into this issue yet, uh, with my driver, but, uh, one of the Twitter, uh, Twitter, um, followers who is trying out your swing method based on, uh, our conversations that you and I have had on Twitter as of late asks, what can we do to improve our launch conditions using the method with our driver? So, uh, have you heard any feedback or what advice would you have from someone who might not be hitting the ball as high as they would prefer with the driver using this method. Okay, so uh, first of all, if, if you don't know any, if you haven't seen much about Square to Square, I do promote a lot of setting up at address with the alignments that you would hi you would hope to have at impact. So with a wedge, we would have a little bit more forward shaft lean, or we'd have a, the club a little bit de-lofted. Uh, from a normal, you know, vertical shaft at address because tour players impact the ball with less loft than a vertical shaft at impact. So forward shaft lean will give us compression with a wedge, and that's so that's how we set up with our wedges with a little bit of forward shaft lean. When it comes to our driver, if we were to lean the shaft forward, that would take all the loft off the driver. So if a player is going from my from a, a wedge type swing and they go directly to a driver and set the driver up in the same way. They're going to get lower loft or low, really low launch angles. So we have to sort of understand that as the ball moves from your back foot to your front foot in your arc, it actually changes the angle of the shaft. So if you were to set the ball up directly in the middle of your stance and put your hands three inches forward, then you'd have a 10-degree shaft lean, let's say. 
And let's say that might work pretty well with a wedge. If you move it back toward your back foot, you'd now have 30 degrees of shaft lean or something. And if you move it up to your front foot, as your hands move up to your front foot to get the shaft to meet up with the ball at your front foot, the shaft would lose its forward shaft lean. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. So with the driver, we need to be a little bit, we need to be aware that as we move the ball forward in our arc, that's also changing the place uh, for our club to, you know, the position the club's going to be in during contact. If you're hitting it low, it's possible that the ball's either too far back in your stance, which is creating too much forward shaffling at impact for a driver, or you might be moving your center or moving your body more forward, which is essentially moving the ball back in your arc. So to fix it, I would say tee the ball a little higher and put it out, you know, like Bubba Watson by your left big toe or your lead foot big toe. Um, And then, and make sure you see it from behind the ball. So when you're looking at the ball with your eyes, you're, you're looking at the back of the ball rather than the top of the ball or the front of the ball. And that will kind of ensure that your head's behind the ball and that your center is behind the ball. So now when you're swinging, your club's got a chance to be lined up, um, in the proper impact alignments for a driver. And also, so that's a, that's my quick verbal answer, but there's a, there's a ball position, uh, ball flight video on YouTube that talks about this. Um, and I think is, does a really good job. It's a free video. So I would just, you know, just say, check that one out too. If you need a little bit more explanation on it. That makes a lot of sense. And certainly to the, the uh, Twitter uh, follower that sent that in, I hope that was helpful. And I know that uh, I've learned a lot in this conversation that I'm going to certainly take with me uh, to the either the driving range, but hopefully the golf course very soon. Uh, Sam, you know, I, I'm sure you and I can talk about this for hours, and I'm sure that we'll have you back on uh, because I'd like to have you back on as I continue my progress with your swing method. But until then, uh, why don't you let our listeners know where they can find you on social? Absolutely. So I have um, I have a Facebook page for Sam Golden Golf. I have a closed group called Sam Golden Clubhouse. That's the one that you get for $19 a month, which allows you to join in on those live clinics and things like that. I have a an Instagram, Sam Golden Golf. I have a Twitter, obviously, Sam Golden Golf. I have a Snapchat, which is slightly slightly under my age category. So I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right I don't there with the, you too. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, you know, pretty much everywhere you go, if you just type in Sam Gould and golf, you're going to find me. Um, and then one more thing I want to quickly mention, and I know we're pretty much dead on time, but I, I have three, I believe that there are three fundamental things in golf in order to be a scratch golfer or a single digit handicap. Um, number one, as I spoke about pretty much in the first half of the show, uh, hitting it solid, consistently solid. Number two, predictable curve. And number three, and I think I really truly believe this is the glue that holds everything together is a routine, a pre-shot routine, which gets your mind in a clear and focused mind state, which allows number one and number two to happen. So no matter how hard we practice, number one, we're on the driving range, we're hitting it solid, 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 solid. If you go to the driving range and you're standing in the middle of number one fairway and you're thinking about what might happen if you know you don't hit a good shot or you're thinking about the water short or you need to make birdie or whatever you're thinking – if it's not clear and focused on your intention, then it's going to be very difficult for your your brain to kind of know what to do with with your swing. So uh, I think a pre-shot routine is, is insanely important. After you've understood and learned the mechanics a little bit, then getting into a pre-shot routine really quickly that allows you to, to focus and stay focused on your intention um, is a really, really valuable piece. So I'll, I'll kind of leave you with that one. I didn't want to didn't want to go without that piece because I think it's a big changer for a lot of people. 
they thank you for for bringing that up and i'm certain i'm taking notes here as soon as uh as you're talking i'm just jotting stuff down to keep in mind for myself ladies and gentlemen that's mr sam golden from sam golden golf you can follow him on all the social channels that he just mentioned uh sam really appreciate you coming on i'm really looking forward to trying out your swing method a little bit more uh and hopefully we can have you on in the future to kind of give not only you an update on my game but certainly any updates that you have to share uh for the listeners yeah, I would love to come on anytime, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, if anybody has any questions, please don't hesitate. I'm sitting here in Puerto Rico checking Instagram and Twitter pretty much constantly. So fire away and I'll be happy to, to write you back. <laughs>